I spent yesterday, or last two days, with my dad and my brother and my kids, and we went to Athens, Georgia, and played golf a little bit and hung out with, with my brother. And my dad asked me a question uh, yesterday. Out of the blue, he said, if you were not a pastor and didn't go into ministry when you were young, what would you do? I was like, that's a great question. And I said, I'd have been a coach. I'd want to have been a coach on a, on a major college level of either basketball, football, or golf. And I thought a lot about that, actually, last night, just laying in bed. of like, why did I answer that? And there's something that God just gave me a passion about when I was young, and it's just developing people. Remember when Jack Deere came here and he preached, and everyone was surprised that he really, all he did was share his story, and then he encouraged all of us to share our stories? You're talking about a man who is a global, known, iconic Greek and Hebrew scholar, literally, over the last 30 years, and he came to Bridgeway and didn't do any of it. He shared his story. We, we all have a story, and even though I'm a pastor, I don't let anyone around here call me pastor, but a lot of people do call me coach, and I like it a lot. And uh, one of the people that I've really enjoyed coaching, there you are. I thought God took you. I was looking for you down there. Uh, come on up here. I thought we just had an Enoch moment. I look, and Blake's not down there. Last two minutes, I think you're sitting on the front row. Uh, one of the people that I really love coaching that's on this team, his name is Blake Berg. A lot of you guys don't know Blake. Give Blake a hand this morning. And I met Blake back, I guess, about nine or ten years ago now, and he was an artist in America's Georgia and Deep South. <clears throat> Deep South. My wife grew up in Tifton, so as soon as I heard the word America's, I was very familiar with America's. Uh, not that, that you care because you're not a huge sports guy, but my dad lost a state championship to America's High School in 1967. I never told you that. Lost 7-6. Never thought about that until right now. Um, my dad grew up in Thompson, Georgia. Blake grew up in, uh, or went to school in America's and met his wife Kim in America's. And we hired him at Wayfair Ministries. And Blake is a, an award-winning artist. And that's, that's not a, I'm not exaggerating that. He's an award-winning artist. In the last 10 years, I've watched Blake go from being an artist and just moving into deep friendship with God and developing more gifts than just artistry. I taught Blake everything he knows about art yes. over the years. Yeah. He still doesn't know anything. Um, <laughs> it's just fun to watch God just develop people on the team at Bridgeway. And so we were in a conversation, I guess, three or four months ago, and I was like, man, you really need to teach this to the staff. You've got to be careful with me because if you've been to Haiti with me, if you start telling me what God's doing in your life, no problem. You're going to share it with a lot of people. Indeed. And uh, Blake got in front of the staff, and I said, man, that was so good. You need to share this in front of the church. And so Blake is an artist here on staff. He's a friend of mine, and him and his wife Kimberly are awesome. He'll talk about Kimberly. She's downstairs. She's on the children's ministry team. Can you just extend your hands toward Blake this morning? And I want to pray for him that he would just let it rip, have fun, and uh, just share a lot of revelation with us. Blake, in the name of Jesus, may you just be full of you. Really enjoy this and just speak straight from the Father's heart. We thank you, Father, for Blake's story. We thank you for Kimberly, the three boys his journey. And I pray specifically this morning, you would just grab his tongue, help him relax, give him clarity of thought, and help him have a lot of fun in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, I've taped my notes to the table. I came in early this morning to do that. Uh, because as you may or may not have realized in the last few weeks, we got new air conditioners. 
And what I realized uh, this week when I was in here going over stuff, it was like an Arctic blast comes through, and all of a sudden the Word of God scatters over the people, but not in the way I want it to, because I don't want it to scatter while it's still in paper form. I want it to scatter in the way the Lord wants it to, which is hopefully through some really good stories. Um, I think we're going to laugh a lot, uh, because I like to have fun. I like to be funny. Um, And speaking of funny things, uh, who was here on Father's Day a couple weeks ago? Raise your hand when Chad did doppelgangers, right? Because they're very funny. Um, uh, I think we have, we have, you may recognize me as that guy. Yeah. I work with a lot of really hilarious people here at Bridgeway. Um, but I thought this morning, like, let's really put it to the test. Let's see. We've got... So I don't know. What do you guys think? A little bit of a head turn. He's kind of smiling like a donut a little bit. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. The Lord spoke over Gideon, my valiant warrior, and then Chad spoke over me, my Yukon Cornelius. But if you've seen, if you've seen um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, yeah? So Yukon Cornelius at um, one part... In the movie, he leaves because he needs to go get his life-sustaining supplies. And here's what his life-sustaining supplies are. It's cornmeal, gunpowder, ham hocks, and guitar strings. Right? So it's really, it's, like, it's good times, good times, good times, and good times. So Yukon really this doesn't really sound so bad to me, so I don't know about you. Maybe you can come along with me on the Yukon train. We'll eat well, we'll blow things up, we'll have good music. Yeah? Amen? I feel like I should just call the band back up now and call it a day, but we're not going to. So I don't know a lot of you. I know some of you. Some of you know me. Uh, so I thought I'd give you some insight uh, into how I operate, who I am, where I've come from, uh, and how I got to now. So this was about 20 years ago. It was in the late 90s, um, which I just turned 40 a month ago. Uh, the late 90s was an incredible time to be in your early 20s. The music was good, TV was good, movies were good, food was good, gas was still like 95 cents a gallon. I could eat anything I wanted to and have no change to my body. Right now, uh, all I can eat is water, and that's just so I can maintain this. <laughs> but as great as everything was for me in my, in my early 20s, uh, there was still one thing that I was missing that I needed to take my life to that next level. And that was a young lady named Kimberly Wilkerson. Right? And so Chad gave it away a little bit. It's a spoiler alert. Her name's now Kimberly Berg. My last name is Burris because we got married. Um, and she's downstairs this morning uh, helping lead out with our children. She's an amazing woman. And she did indeed like, bring me to that next level of where I wanted my life to go. So both of us served on the leadership council of one of our campus ministries in our college. And then one winter, we were taking a beach retreat, for some reason, go to the beach in the winter, as a leadership team, uh, just to plan for the next year, talk about where we'd been, where we're going. And uh, you might think it's weird to go to the beach in winter. I think it's amazing because I can get sunburned at night. I'm not really a beach guy. It's going to be cold, but I look good in a jacket. So like, these are all positives. And then positive of all positives, on the way to the beach, Kimberly Wilkerson is going to be riding with me. So I have three and a half 
alone hours with the woman who I need to prove to that uh, I'm worth her affection and her attention. So it's a great plan. We get going, we get started. Everything's going great. I'm fluffing up my feathers. It's like, it's very much like guys always get into some mode and I don't think you really ever, you really ever grow out of it. But we're really just five-year-olds always just saying, look what I can do, look what I can do, look what I can do, look what I can do. Um, so I would always, like I would carry heavy things by myself because like look at how strong I am, I can carry the heavy thing by myself. Now that I've matured though, I look for the people that are in that season, so like, uh, yeah, carry, can you carry this one too? Like, you're so strong, that's amazing, like he's so strong, you should marry that one. Then though, I was the guy doing that. And it was going great in our car ride, and then all of a sudden, I needed to go to the bathroom. Right? And that's not cool when you're trying to win the affections of a young lady. <laughs> it's not. So, but I think I can play it cool. I think I can make it. We're not that far from the beach. We don't have any reason to stop. We don't need gas. We don't need to get any food. So the only reason in my mind it would go like this, Kim would ask, hey, why are we stopping? I would say, well, I need to go to the bathroom. And she'd say, well, you're not the guy for me then. That's how, that's how it worked in my mind. So I can't do that. So I decide I need to, I just need to push through and make it and we're not that far. Now, if any of you have ever been to a beach community, you start to see evidence of the beach community long before you ever get to the beach community. So we're like an hour away, and there's signs for Panama City Beach, stay here, go do this, pay 25 cents, there's a big alligator in this store, all kinds of things. So that's what I think we're doing. Like, we've got to be close, because why else would there be signs all this way? Only we're not close, we're an hour away. So for the next hour, my body and my romantic intentions engage in this epic tug of war, and my entire future happiness hangs in the balance. But I'm committed to play it cool. So like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop to go to the bathroom because I don't need to do that because it's not cool. Eventually, like, I, can't, I can't just keep playing it cool anymore. Like, I'm visibly uncomfortable. And Kim asked me, like, what's going on? And I can like, nothing, I'm fine. But I'm like, my body's on lockdown, but I'm trying to tell her I'm okay. I finally can't maintain that anymore, so I need to tell her, like, look, I'm in a lot of pain right now. I really need to go to the bathroom. Uh, Kim is a lot smarter than I am, and she says, why don't you just pull over somewhere and go find a bathroom? Uh, and a lot really hasn't changed in the last 20 years of our relationship. That's still how, how we operate. But I couldn't do that. Like, I was going to, like, guys always want to one-up another guy. You even want to one-up yourself. So I'd already committed to overcoming this challenge and I was going to succeed. There's a lot of stoplights uh, on the business bypass to Panama City Beach. Uh, I hit all of them that night. But we finally got there. I could see where we were staying in the distance. We were close. My body knew we were close, so the tug of war gets more feverish. I'm completely on lockdown now. Uh, I called it the trimmers, where pain would rush over me in waves, and all I could do is grab the steering wheel and shake until, until it passed. Uh, so Kim is, is cracking up next to me, 
with every giggle, like my entire future is unraveling. We're not gonna have two and a half kids. We're not gonna have a white picket fence. Everything is over. But we pull up to the hotel that uh, our leadership team is going to, at the resort center that our leadership team is having this um, retreat at. And uh, I pull up right in front of the lobby. I'm usually not that guy. I like to park in a parking space and let someone that needs to park right in front of the lobby door, park in front of the lobby door. But today I was that guy that needed to. So I parked. The battle's really only half over because now I have to get from sitting in the car to standing right, to then walking inside and finding the bathroom. And that's no small feat because my body has been on lockdown. So I'm, you know, you can't just like move your body in that point. It's like everything has to move as one, as one unit. So I'm like trying to pull up on the steering wheel. I'm pulling up on the side of the door. I'm like kind of trying to rotate around to get out and like step out. So I've made it, I'm on my feet. I just, I can see the bathroom through the glass doors of the lobby. It's on the other side of the lobby. That's a long, that's a long way to go. Sometimes the walk of shame like goes away from the crowd and your, your shoulders are slumped and your head's down low, but sometimes the walk of shame goes right through the middle of the crowd while everybody watches you hurriedly try to get to the bathroom. And the receptionist at the check-in desk, meanwhile, is asking me, like, can I help you? Only my body's on lockdown, so I can't just turn and now I just kind of have to look at her and kind of go, uh, while I get to the bathroom. But I made it. Right? And now 20 years later, we have three children. I don't know about you, but that's a good story. But there is a really, really, really important reason why I made it. And that's because I fully understood in that moment what the consequences would be for almost making it to the bathroom. Right? Amen? Because this is really important. The fruit of almost is the same as the fruit of never. Yeah? Say that again. The fruit of almost is the same as the fruit of never. So there's some things in life that uh, we accept that. Uh, the chicken was almost cooked all the way through. Um, we almost had enough gas to get home. The runway was almost long enough for takeoff. Right? There are things that we know almost isn't going to cut it in this situation. Um, there are other things that like, we know it is, but we don't really buy into it. And unfortunately, a lot of times the kingdom of God is one of those things. And that's one that I'm guilty of all the time, of almost doing what God wants me to do. Right, the things that he calls me into, the commands that he gives. And he doesn't do them because, you know, I think even one of uh, the kids' verses, like, he has good plans for us. So he wants growth in my life. And the way that growth works, if, if I only do the things that I've always done, then I will always do the things that I only do. Yeah? Does everyone track with that? If I only do the things that I've always done, then I will always do the only thing that I can do. So if I only do what I'm currently doing now, if I only cast my faith 
for what I currently have faith for, then my current uh, amount of faith, the current depth of uh, intimacy I have with the Father, the current level of power that I walk in, will at best like just kind of stay even, but most likely is going to start to trail off, and it's going to do that as long as I'm operating within the boundaries of my current level of faith. And that's not what God wants for us. Like he wants redemption for you, he wants it for me. Anytime when he gives me something that he wants me to do, it's not just so that you can grow, like it's so that I can grow from that. So here's how, here's how that kind of works. I like to ride bikes. Uh, I've been doing it for, like bicycles. No, it's not, I'm not cool enough for motorcycles, but bicycles. And I've recently sort of switched from road bike biking to mountain bike biking, because I think mountain bike biking is way cooler. It's a lot harder, but it's a lot more exciting, and the outfit you get to wear is like way better looking than the outfit you wear when you're road biking. So like, that sounds good to me, because I already look a little bit silly on a bike. Um, but it's fun. But if I'm biking, uh, and say I, go, I can go for a 20-mile bike ride, and it doesn't push me that hard to go for a 20-mile bike ride, if I can do a 20-mile bike ride, doing a one-mile bike ride ain't exercise, right? If a 20-mile bike ride is the absolute limit of what I can do, but I really, 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 really want to be able to do a 30-mile bike ride, the only way I'm going to get to a 30-mile bike ride is I have to push myself beyond what I know is possible for me to do, and then eventually I'll keep doing that. I'm going to get to a 30-mile bike ride. Growing our faith works the same way. So here's that word. Let's put a, uh, that slide, Gary. So growing your faith starts with trust, right? Now, trust is acknowledging that God, everything God does is good, right, and perfect, and that I'm putting my hope in him. So I trust God. When I trust God, he tells me to do something, I can then act in obedience. So obedience is our trust manifest. Yes? Now, we have a hard time being obedient a lot of times because uh, we try to say, well, I can only be obedient for what I already have faith for. And if I, like, I don't have faith to uh, pray for somebody, I don't have the faith to get a word of knowledge for somebody. But that's why we have a hard time with obedience because it goes the other way around because faith comes after obedience. So we think, well, if I have the faith for this, then I can be obedient to what the Lord's called me. Only what you find is you just get in like a little tiny circle and you just go around and around and around and around between trust and obedience because most of the time the Lord is going to ask you to be obedient to something that you don't have faith for because he wants to grow you. So I've trusted the Lord. I've been obedient to do what he's asked me to do, which unfortunately for me, he's asked me to do something that's beyond my current level of faith. And now I'm uncomfortable and worried about that, but I've done it, and so the result is my faith has now stretched into new territory. And here's something really cool happens, is after faith comes testimony. So I've stretched my faith into new territory, and then testimony can come right in and occupy that new ground. I can remember what the Lord has done, and then I can stand on that, and now reach for the next level of trust. And I can reach for the next 
deeper level of obedience. My faith is going to grow that much more. My testimony is going to get that much more concrete. And then wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. The circle just keeps going. It keeps going around, and every time it goes around, it expands. Gets bigger, gets bigger, gets bigger. And your testimony is what settles that ground. All right, so let's look at how this works, though, um, in some stories in the Bible. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. So the Lord goes on from there to uh, reveal that he has seen the suffering of the people, uh, the Israelites in Egypt under Pharaoh's control. Um, He's heard their cries, and he has a plan to come rescue them, and not only to rescue them, but he's going to deliver them into a new and spacious land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, which sounds great. So we move on to uh, Exodus 3.10. Pharaoh says, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The Lord is inviting Moses to trust him, to start off at the top of the circle, and has given him something to be obedient to. And if Moses follows through, he'll have grown faith, have an amazing testimony, and it's going to keep going. Uh, But instead, for the next 28 verses, Moses argues with the Lord about what the Lord has called him to do. Uh, I argue with the Lord a lot about what the Lord's called me to do. It's it's like the Lord's running a little debate club. Um, But he's not running a debate club. It's funny, the revelation that you get um, in having your own children I have three boys, and I've learned more about the nature of the father from having my three boys because now I have my own debate club. (laughs) That questions everything that that I do. Every command I give them is up for discussion. Yeah, these are my boys. This is Oscar in the back. Uh, He's our oldest. He has Miles by the head. Um, Miles isn't struggling. That's a look of pure joy because Miles thinks that Oscar is the greatest human on the planet, and Oscar thinks he's the greatest human on the planet. So they're like, they're peas in a pod. Their relationship's incredible. Uh, Jack is, is escaping. He, uh, he's the, the baby baby. Uh, he likes to do his own thing. So uh, Miles and Jack are twins. Anybody in here have twins, triplets, multiples? Anyone? No? I recommend you have your children. One? You do? Meet me over here afterwards and we'll have a special time of praying for each other. (laughs) I recommend having your children one at a time because it's really hard having like two at one time. But this is my own debate club. Everything is up for discussion with them every time I tell them to do something. And it's usually even good things like we're going to get ice cream. They want to debate with me about it. Um, Now, to be fair, though, I think we do ask some really high-level things of them, like put your shoes on. 
Um, no, put both, no, both your shoes need to be on. No, yeah, no, on, no, on your feet. Both shoes on your feet. And then you need to get in the car. No, all of you, all of you need to be in the car. Why are you, why did you get out of the car? So Moses and the Lord are doing that, it feels like, for 28 verses. <laughs> the way that Moses starts debating, though, um, he asks the Lord, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? All right, the Lord says, hey, Moses, I want you to trust me and do what I'm asking. And Moses is like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know that I trust you. Who am I to, who am I to do that? And I think the Lord says, well, Moses, you're the guy that one chapter ago killed a, an Egyptian for beating on a Hebrew. You intervened in their story. Then the next day, you intervened in the story of two Hebrews that were fighting each other and asked, well, why are you fighting your brother? Only to flee for your life, to go to Midian. Only to then intervene in the story of the priests of Midian's seven daughters who had been run off from the well by some rogue shepherds, came to their rescue gives them water, takes care of their flock. The Lord's probably saying, that's who you are, Moses, that I'm asking you to go do this. You are already acting in that capacity. I just want to make it official and empower you and equip you to do it. So 28 verses later, Moses finally puts all his cards on the table in Exodus 4.13. He says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. What I think is kind of funny is it's like, well, why are, you, are you my servant or not? Like, I'm your servant, but then uh, don't ask me to do the thing you're asking me to do, which is by nature sort of what a servant is. But the Lord uh, overcomes Moses' doubt, gives him some things to trust. Uh, he equips him with a staff right, to do some signs with so that people will believe him. And then he equips him with his brother Aaron, which is going to be his mouthpiece because Moses maintained that he's not a good speaker. That doesn't sound like the guy, though, that was intervening in everyone's stories last chapter, but he still says he's not a good speaker. So the Lord gives him things to overcome his doubt so that he has courage to trust and then obey. So Moses leaves. He goes back to Egypt and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh's not feeling it. So Moses immediately slips back into, well, why have you sent me here? Like, who am I that Pharaoh should listen to me? Is this what you really want to do with your people? Like, this is a terrible idea. Uh, at one point of, you know, kind of following you going in that circle between trust and obey because you keep thinking faith needs to come before obey when really it comes after obey, Moses and Aaron finally switch the way they're thinking and they do just as the Lord commanded. And then when they do that, they get victory after victory after victory after victory, right? They unleash the 10 plagues. Um, Pharaoh finally has enough. He says, like, yeah, you guys can get out of here. They flee Egypt. They're running away. Moses parts the Red Sea. The Israelites cross through on dry land. The sea closes back in on the uh, Egyptians, and God's people are rescued. Guess what happens immediately after they cross the Red Sea? In Exodus chapter 15, testimony happens. Moses and Miriam and the Israelites sing a song to the Lord. 
And we're not going to, it's like, it's like 20 verses long, so we're not going to read all of it. I just want to read part of it. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Now they have a testimony of what the Lord's done that they can stand on to start going around the circle again to get to another level of trust, another level of obedience, another level of faith, another level of testimony, and then they're just going to keep doing that. The story continues. They're going through the desert. Uh, The Israelites are a very um, grumbly people in this story. At one point, they want water. Uh, They've kind of not, they're not trusting real well, but Moses is still trusting really well because he asked the Israelites, why are you putting the Lord to the test? He doesn't feel like he needs to go ask the Lord about why don't we have water. He's asking them, why do you feel like you need to put the Lord to the test? Don't you trust him? Then when Moses goes to the Lord, he doesn't ask the Lord about how are we going to get water. He says, what am I going to do with these people? Like, they want to kill me, but like, I'm trusting you. So he doesn't ask about water, but the Lord gives him an answer about water. He says, take the staff that you use to strike the Nile. Remember, testimony. You've done this before. You actually already have faith for this because you've done a very similar thing in the past and you had great success. Take the staff that you use to strike the Nile, and then strike this rock. Water's going to come out, and all the people will be great. Moses does it. goes wonderfully. Works great. A little bit later, the exact same situation comes up. The people want water. Um, Moses goes to the Lord and says, like, hey, like, what are we going to do? This time the Lord says, take your staff, take your brother Aaron. Remember, these are the two things I gave you so you would have courage to obey. Only this time... I don't want you to use either of those to get water. I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to do the thing that you said you couldn't do because I want to grow your faith beyond its current bounds so that you can settle that with a new testimony. But we always have a choice, and Moses chooses poorly. Instead of being obedient, and I'm reading between the lines some, I feel like, Moses was dissatisfied with the Lord's command. That Moses just didn't want to fix the, the immediate need. Like he wanted a solution so the Israelites would quit being grumbly. Moses is thinking, well, if all we're going to do is get them water, like I've been there, done that. This ain't my first rodeo. I know how to get water. I take my staff and I tap the rock with it. So Moses goes, he addresses the Israelites. He chastises them a little bit. He misrepresents the heart of the Father He blatantly disobeys. God is still good, so they get water when he strikes the rock, even though he's supposed to speak to it. But in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because the fruit of almost is the same as the fruit of never, right? So our, our job is to trust and obey, but we do have other options, and I do the other options a lot. Like, I, I can trust and delay. And I say, well, I don't know if I heard you clearly, Lord. 
certainly, like, that's not what you've asked of me. I need to pray about it some. I need to process this longer. I need to seek wiser counsel on what you've asked of me. But delayed disobedience is still just disobedience. The, The more sinister thing, though, I think is what happens with Moses and is where I found myself more recently, and that was trusting the Lord, getting his command, and then being dissatisfied with the direction he wants me to go in. Um, so as Chad said at the beginning, I'm an artist. I've studied to be an artist my whole life, as much as you can study as a child. I didn't know I was studying to be an artist, but I always drew, I made things. Fast forward, I go to college, I studied art. I have a degree in painting and sculpture with all the rights and responsibilities and privileges thereof. Uh, Actually, college was really interesting. Um, There were other Christian students in the same art department that were effectively um, put to death by the faculty and the other students for their beliefs. Um, But I found great favor, and the faculty gave me lots of money to go to the school and make artwork about my beliefs. Uh, I didn't have eyes to see it then, but now looking back, like it was very much like an Old Testament story of like I was the outsider Christian guy that found great favor with the king. So I did. I'd always found great favor in art making, and I worked really, really, really hard at it. And so do you know what happens if you combine like great favor with hard work? Great success. So I had great success as an artist. Uh, I'm really good. I'm, it feels weird to say. I'm really good at it. I'm really good in all the areas that I work in. I can paint. I can blow glass. Uh, I can do photography. I can do sculpture. Um, I'm not so much into printmaking. Sorry, bro. I know Kyle likes printmaking. I couldn't get into printmaking. Uh, I can do 3D animation, graphic design, website design, uh, video production, I can play music, I'm a decent writer, like any creative area, I found favor and I work really hard at it to get good at it. And the result is I got good at it. Then the Lord brought me to Bridgeway. (laughs) I always thought of myself as this um, racehorse in art making. I was good at it, I was fast, I was strong, I had the awards to prove it, I had the pedigree to prove it, I was a racehorse, and I was the fastest of all the racehorses. I come here, and my job title is uh, Web, Print, and Social Media Manager. <laughs> That's a terrible job title. Sorry. <laughs> but it's a, terrible, it's a terrible job title because I'm thinking, like, I am trained in fine arts in the academy. Like, I'm a little bit of an art snob, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've had job offers from these people, these people, these people, these people, and now I'm coming here and I'm the web, print, and social media manager. Like, I don't even care about social media. One of my love languages is alone time. Like, I don't, I just want to be, just leave me alone. But, that was what the Lord was asking me to do, so I was doing it. The problem is, um, I was being obedient out of duty rather than out of trust. 
And when you are obedient out of duty, rather than out of trust, it's a breeding gown for resentment. And I became angry at what the Lord was calling me into. And that's sobering, right, to be angry with the Lord, especially like I come here. This is an amazing place to work. This is an amazing calling. It's the most amazing team I've ever been around, and I'm mad about it, (laughs) right? So I stopped and was able to say, like, Lord, like, why am I, tell me why am I doing this. Help me figure this out. And this is what the Lord showed me. This is really, really important. So if you only come away with, like, one thing I've said today, let this be the thing that you come away with. The Lord told me that I swapped the testimony of what he has done in my life for the testimony of what I have done in my life. And then I'm trying to stand on that to reach new levels of trust. Right? I'm standing on my own accomplishments, my own hopes, my own dreams, my own skills, my own time that I've put in to develop what I can do. And now I'm reaching, thinking like, okay, great, I'm standing on this amazing testimony, which is really just I'm putting my hope in me instead of my hope in the Lord. And now I'm going to reach new levels of trust. I'm going to be better at obedience. I'm going to have greater faith. And the Lord said, buddy, you're not even on the same circle as me anymore. Gosh. So I repented. <laughs> not really fast, because I was still kind of mad about that. My anger shifted a little bit. I'm like not as mad at the Lord. Now I'm a little bit mad at me, because like how much time have I maybe wasted, you know, wandering in the desert for 40 years, when really like this could have just been a three-day walk. So the Lord's been taking me back to the burning bush so I can relearn to trust him again so that I don't replace trust with dissatisfaction, which leads to resentment. And I don't think I'm alone in needing to go back to the burning bush to learn those things again. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are good, right, and perfect. And it's because of that that you are trustworthy. You have proved yourself over and over again. And we stand on the testimony of you. And we reach for new levels of you. Father, thank you that you are going to give us greater trust, greater obedience, or greater faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Weren't you blessed by Blake this morning? I'm going to need to put you back in the art department. You preached a little too well this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer servants to come down forward. Perhaps today, as Blake specifically was going through the chart that the Father showed him, Perhaps there's some things that need to be realigned in your life. We'd love to pray for you. You know, conviction and condemnation are not the same things. And a lot of people that have grown up under um, a regime of legalism, a lot of times think that high challenge is condemnation. It's not. In one passage, Jesus uh, affirmed Simon Peter. In the next sentence, he said, get behind me, Satan. And a lot of times the father will call us out and he's not condemning us. 
But conviction comes on us because there just needs to be a recalibration. Perhaps there needs to be a recalibration with what Blake was talking about today. We'd love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything other than that, we'd love to pray for you. Have a great 4th of July and God bless.